Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here is your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. Your host here, John Cutton. Hope everybody is having a great day. It's actually somewhat sunny here in New York after three days of raining. Uh, So it's good to see the sun. And I am super excited uh, to have our guest today, uh, a well-known industry expert, Mr. Tony Sirianni, uh, who is the CEO, publisher of Advisor Hub, uh, also a consultant to many Fortune 100 banks and brokerage firms, just released an amazing uh, advisor ranking system, which everywhere I go, Tony, I seem to be seeing it all over LinkedIn right. and the internet. Uh, so really excited to have you here and pick your brain a little bit about what is going on in our industry these days. So if you wouldn't mind, maybe just say a quick hello uh, to the audience and we'll, uh, we'll get into things a bit. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, John. I appreciate it. This is a, a lot of fun. Look forward to it. And it's, by the way, it's sunny here in Virginia too. Beautiful. Yes. Day. Sun, sun is good, right? The calm before, yeah. uh, before the winter here. Um, so, Hey, super excited to have you on. Um, truly a big fan of yours. And I, you. I, you know, I'll share with you. Um, I love the, uh, I love your digital advisor hub magazine, right? But I really, yeah. really love your print magazine. Like no one does that anymore. And I, uh, like when it comes in the mail, I don't know when they come, I'm sure it's monthly or whatever it is, but it's kind of like my little Sunday ritual now that I, I put it right in my spot where I know I won't forget it. And on Sundays, I'm an early riser and I sit like I used to back in the day when reading the, yep. newspa- the Sunday newspaper was cool. And I, I dig in and I, I literally read it cover to cover. So thanks for- uh, you know, Well, you're welcome. You know, it's interesting. A magazine is such a different format than the, than the digital. You know, the digital stuff, we're really news focused. And, you know, we have the best reporters in the world at Advisor Hub and they are tasked, you know, to, they have to break three new stories a day. And that's not easy. We're pretty small niche, you know, industry. And, you know, the, the guy who reports on this, the Wall Street Journal, he's got 10 other things to report on. So he's not, you know, my guys are breaking national news, he gets picked up by New York Times and everybody else. The magazine's a different, a different animal, you can have more of an opinion on things, you know, you can have, and I see, so I think the combination of the two, it's really reflective of where the business is today. And uh, you got to remember, we started that magazine, because we were bored during the pandemic and didn't know what would happen. So we're we're really gratified by its uh, success. And I think there's a lot of people like us in our business who are tactile, who do like the, the feel of a magazine, just enjoy having it around the house. It's just, or the office, you know, it's fun. Yep, absolutely. I've got, uh, I, I think I call it uh, my drink buddy. It's a little thing that sits next to me on the couch that has a couple of places to put, you know, your your beverage yeah. and et cetera. And your, your magazine sits there until the next one comes. And, uh, you know, in between commercials and stuff, when I'm staring at the boob tube, I, uh, I, I give, uh, you know, a, another uh, piece of it a read. So thanks. You know, right. Sincerely, uh, love what you're doing for the industry. I mean, for years, there wasn't really a place to know everything that's going on. And yeah. you just need to kind of go on your website or look, look in your e- email box or read one of your periodicals. Uh, and it really gives you a good sense of what's going on around the world. So with in, in the financial services industry. 
So, you know, with that being said, that's really the direction I've got you for, you know, a half hour or 40 minutes here that I'd love to kind of get into your head a little bit. You know, we've been through an unprecedented time, right, with COVID and now a market meltdown and interest rates and recession fear, uh, et cetera. What, what are you seeing out there, you know, as you think about what's going on uh, you know, in the industry today, you know, what, what exactly are you seeing, Tony? So a couple things. I mean, uh, as far as inflation and, and everything that's going on with the markets, I'm just seeing a lot of, you know, real professionals that have been there before and, you know, hey, we've been to this dance, right? So it's going to work out okay, as long as you stick, stick with it. And I think, you know, we did our work for this, you know, we're earning our pay now, but we did our work, you know, two years ago, three years ago. I mean, as you sat down with clients and did planning, you know, you told them this could happen. So here we are. So I'm not seeing a lot of panic at all. And, I'm, you know, I talked to folks at a high level and, and, uh, you know, so it's, and I'm not seeing them panic at all. You know, everyone's sort of, you know, feeling this is, you know, we're going to get through this one way or the other. And I think we will. Um, what, what I am seeing in the industry as a whole, which is interesting, is through all this, through the pandemic, uh, our industry has continued its sort of seismic shifts that had started about 10 years ago, the sort of move to independence and, the, and, and advisors sort of voting with their feet, so much movement around, a lot of M&A. Uh, that got about two months of a break during the start of the pandemic and then continued as if nothing was happening. And it's, you know, the beginning of this year was a little slow. So I was wondering, you know, is it a market related thing? But it's still going really fast. And, you know, people I speak to, again, at the highest levels are telling me, no, it's we're having our best year recruiting. So um, it's interesting. I, I think the, the whys haven't changed, but they've been sort of codified. You have... If you look at, uh, I, I think people are sort of moving to the middle, right? If you look at the middle, like rather than a circle, like an oval, say on one side, you'd have, you know, wire bank wirehouses. On the other side, you'd have sort of, you know, independent quirky firms. And in the middle is kind of everybody else. And they're, they're progressing towards that, right? There, there's a, this ethos that drove the independent movement is driving this move to the middle. And I think if you're a regional firm or, you know, a large, you know, national sort of regional firm, uh, you could say, hey, we were here already. We had the culture. We had all, we had the client centric. And I, I think there's a lot of, you know, validity to that. That being said, the people that are making the jump are a lot of these independent firms. They have the, the, the culture of client first and, and, and you know, product choice. And now they're just, everyone's just as sophisticated as everybody else. I don't think you can make an argument that I'm at a wirehouse and I have more sophisticated products versus an Ameriprise or a JNE or an independent. You know, we're, we're, we're all swimming in the same ocean now. So because we're in that middle piece and there's so many firms that have gravitated there and they've gone there because advisors have voted with their feet, this is what I want, right? So people are there. Now there's every flavor of being in the middle, every slice. So your delivery system could be anything you want, independent, independent with, you know, uh, hybrid, independent with help, regional, uh, you know, major regional, you know, OSJ. I mean, everything is in that slice, but people have sort of agreed upon, uh, I think in general, a cultural ethos that this is this is this is how things should go. So that wasn't the case ten years ago. You know, the, it was you know you want a friend get a dog. That's our culture, right? And now it's a little bit different. So I find that very interesting, and uh, you know, uh, I'm happy about that. Yeah, no, it it, it is uh, super interesting. And you know, do do you think part of that was the isolation of COVID? What I'm hearing you say is that middle. Um, 
you know, like, like we say to clients many times as financial advisors, right, products have kind of become commoditized. And yes, everyone's got a certain different, you know, sleeve of something that's maybe a little bit different uh, and original uh, or proprietary. But for the most part, I think you're absolutely right. Whether you're at a wire, you're an independent broker dealer, uh, you're an RIA, et cetera, for the most part, the product choice is now pretty robust and you can serve clients really well uh, from from all of those seats. So do you think it's the it's, is it the culture and the camaraderie and being part of something bigger than yourself? I think there's no question. So two things. One, COVID accelerated these changes. So the, the, there were things that sort of were going on anyway, and COVID accelerated it because guys were at home, because there was a separation from the, the, the main branches, and because it was like, well, I can do this, you know, anywhere sort of feeling. So there was definitely definitely an acceleration with COVID, you know. I, I think for most things, you know, in our business, there were things accelerated during that time. Um, I, I, I think that because of, you know, commoditization, that, that, that was the, if COVID accelerated it, the commoditization was sort of the, you know, the foundation for all that stuff happening, right? Because now you can, you, there was an equality of, of sophisticated products and things like that, you know. But COVID, I forgot the second part of your your your, your question, but the first part, I remember the COVID. I, I tricked you up with the cut and two step. I don't remember the second part of my question anymore either. No, so I, do this, I do the same thing to people on my show. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> we, we call that the cut and we'll two step. We'll get back step. to it. <laughs> um, um, uh, and I'll probably ask it again. So, uh, all right. uh, you know, all good. I I think where where I was, you know, also going there is, you know, you, you mentioned before, and it's what I'm reading also, that advisors are still voting with their feet and you know this this year uh it seems like there's still lots of advisors in in transition and moving um you know interestingly enough i actually had i don't remember actually if i was on his podcast or he was my on my podcast but i know a good friend of yours frank larosa and i were on each other's uh podcast and um he was asking me the question around my opinion on with the market and all the uncertainty uh, out there, if advisors will be slower to move, if they're hiding underneath their desks, et cetera. But that, that's what you're seeing out there. You're seeing advisors are still in transition and it's kind of a continuation of all the activity we've seen over the last you know, 18 months or so. Yeah. And I think, again, the foundation of that is, is more uh, financial planning and helping clients and, and being uh, you know, aligned with them that the day-to-day -day market stuff, even if it's you know, a, a serious bear sort of day to day is not as impactful as it used to be. You know, I don't think anybody wants to move on a down 800 point, you know, day, but, um, you know, I think the connectivity between advisors and their clients is different than it was when yep. it was all totally based on trades and things like that. And um, I got to unravel this trade or I got to do that. It's just different. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think there's the world gravitates more towards relationship and intellectual capital and true financial planning um clients are more connected right not just based yeah. on uh, on the performance of their account so i think it's a great kind of lead in uh to what i'd really like to dig in with you a little bit on today which is so you know here we are 2022 right we'll be heading into 2023 soon i look back and go man well where were we in 2012 right so the world has changed, the industry has changed, private equity money and right, this flight to independence and 
intellectual capital and planning becoming much more significant, yeah. uh, you know, to what we all do for a living. Wh where do you see the industry going, right? If you look at your crystal ball um, and you know lots of uh, very influential people in the industry, you know, where do you see it going three years, five years, 10 years down the road from where, where we are today? Well, I, I, I do think there's a, a continuation of what we have now. I, I don't I don't see this, you know, um, we talked about advisors voting with, with their feet and, and they have fundamentally changed where it is. Uh, you know, I've also talked about, um, you know, at, at the wirehouses, there's essentially a prisoner exchange, right? They move people around to the, from the different wirehouses, then they change seats and they lock you in, but they've gotten more sophisticated with their uh, legal pieces and how, how they lock people in. So I certainly see uh, going to a European model uh, is the way that the banks want to go. I don't think they can, in their heads, justify why are we paying these people so much to, to manage money. This is a $200,000 a year job. It's not a million dollar a year job, and they should be happy to get it. And that's where it's going. And I feel for the teammates, and I, I wonder, I mean, you know, because look, we, uh, you and I went through it. You, I, it was much worse for me than for you. You were a producer. Always say a producer, never be a manager. Don't listen to them, no matter what they tell you, how great it's going to be. Uh, you, you don't know this, Tony, but I, I was a leader. I took the leap for about eight, eight years or so, learned yeah. a lot, helped me now. But you want to kill yourself at the end of the yes, day. Yes, yes. So, so not your friend. through that 2010, you know, nightmare and everything, we should have, you know, learned more. Um, but you see, you know, we're going to see uh, this European model grow at the banks and people who are going to be like 40 or 50 years old that are sort of junior teammates of these 65 year old guys that started these firms. They've done a lot of work. They've brought in a lot of accounts. They've certainly serviced accounts. Maybe they've gone next gen. They're going to get screwed. I, I, I cannot see how the world works without them having to, they're not going to be allowed to move those accounts. And I think the firms have a good argument as to why you can. You didn't bring this account in. You know what I mean? So I think that there's, I, I think those people are going to get really stuck. And I think there's going to be no more entrepreneurial um, advisor work at, 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 at big banks. I just don't, I don't see that. Uh, that's not, I've been saying this for a couple of years, but I don't, I don't see that as sustainable. Yep. And, and that's, that's, it's starting to happen, right? You read something. It is. They're, they're blocked in. You, you read the fine print of everything you've signed and it's all, it's there. It's literally in writing. So you can't say they didn't tell you. But it's, it, it is there and we are there. I mean, we are, you know, we are getting there. And when you see when you see the big banks, you know, sort of separate out, you know, they're, they're not creating room for young entrepreneurs. They're not training anymore. What does that tell you? And nobody's training anymore. That, that's a problem. My daughter wants to get into the industry. So, you know, she's going to come to our event in New York, which is going to be fun and, and meet people. But, you know, she wants to start. She's a new college graduate. And it's yeah, I would have said go to the Merrill program, which I did. I thought it was terrific. But. And nope. Yeah, Tony, it's it's funny you say that. My entire next week, uh, I've got 22 advisors, young, recently licensed in different phases of their career, some not so young and uh, been in the business for a while, but coming out here to New York from around the country, uh, 22 advisors, and it's a week-long training program. Uh, that, yeah. That's literally um, what I'll be doing all next week. And I, and I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I want to dig in a little deeper there, right? So you're looking at this kind of, you know, bank world and saying it's transitioning from this entrepreneurial environment, right? More to salary-based compensation, kind of right. passing on internally, um, you know, the the succession, right, of, of accounts 
uh, to that next generation advisor, then we're coupled with this issue of, you know, of, of having that next gen from a succession planning perspective, that young talent that can take on businesses right. from the 55 and 65 year old folks. So where, where does that leave us when you think about that? What becomes the, what becomes the hot spot? It concerns me because, you know, we're not, in order to change, um, you've got to completely change the music here in order to make it work. And no one, so here's the problem with, with the independent diaspora. The, 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 the big wirehouses had the money to do real training and train people. Now they didn't, they didn't, I don't think they did it. You'd have to ask yourself, you go to any other industry and say, oh, we have a great training program. You know, 80% of the people drop out of it. Right. Don't 80% make it, right? Failure, right. I mean, you know, okay. The people normally wouldn't in our business, we think that's successful, but everywhere else we think that doesn't make it, it would say this is freaking stupid, but that's the way we've done it. And then we took away the ability to cold call, right? So then how do you build? So if your dad's not a doctor or a lawyer or somebody you know, who's richer, how are you going to find the network to, to, to build out of? And then that brings us to the question of diversity. You know, why don't you see more people of color? Well, if you're the first generation college student, who are you going to call? <laughs> and now the, the, the bank goes, well, we're going to give you the accounts. And, and that's where I think this whole thing with diversity is a problem. We're not giving those people, first generation people, the same chance that you and I had to build a real business because they're being given a salary and whatever the bank gives them. They're not entrepreneurs building their own thing. We're not supporting them. And I think you have to stretch your mind about supporting and what training means um, Give people, you know, country club memberships, give them, you know, let, let the, give them things they don't have so they can go out there and, and produce and, and find ways to, I just think you have to be creative because you can't just snap your fingers and get uh, leads. So here's something where the smart firms that will help figure this out. The pandemic has has accelerated some of the stuff where there are, you can meet somebody by Zoom now. And the fact that you can, you know, the internet sort of creates a level playing field in a lot of ways that you can do. But but I've not seen the firm that's come around to exploit that in exactly the right way. And advisors are doing it on their own. Um, and you know, the easiest thing to do is to shove them into a team. And then they're not entrepreneurs; they're order takers, and they're not—they're not building something new, and they're not really serving the team. I don't know about you; I want a teammate who's going to come in and you know sh show me something I haven't seen, right? <laughs> give, give me something right. new, not just you know I need you to do this, but bring in something new. So I, I'm very concerned about you know where it goes, and at some point, all you're going to have is order takers, and people will be maybe afraid or not want to work with you know the entrepreneurial uh, you know set. So. Um, our generation has got to try to figure that out for the next generation. It's going to be very difficult to do in the independent world to create entrepreneurs. I think in your position where you guys are, you know, huge teams and all that, you can always bring in young people to work for you and keep try to keep the spirit alive. But it's just a you know, it's a different thing if you're not out there on your own building yeah. your own book. I, I completely agree, and. Um... I'm, I'm, you know, as, as uh, anyone would, I guess I'm connecting it to my own business and the things that I'm seeing right now, day to day. And it, it very much is a problem. I mean, you think about this salaried position, most advisors come in, um, they can't, it's not this eat what you kill world, because it's really right. hard to prospect and find new clients. 
Um, so you assign them to a larger team. They start to work the bottom of the book of business where sometimes there's gold, many times there's not, right? Uh, and then as your business hopefully is organically or inorganically growing, they, they you know, move into a, a full-fledged advisor and have a career. And then if they're good, they can organically grow that business from referrals and things along those lines. But I think you're right. Um, you know, the days of hitting the phones or dinner seminars and things along those lines, why it all still works some, um, that entrepreneurial but, spirit. But it's worse. It, there, there's, there's a dream dying there that's worse. There, there's a, you know, I, I, I don't know. When I started and, you know, I started to have kids, we wanted to send the kid to private school. I had to work harder to make more commission in order, but I could do it. Yep. There wasn't a limit. If I'm on a team, I got a kid, I got to go to the, the boss of the team and say, hey, you know, help me out here. I, you know, that's a different conversation. You, you yeah. want to you be able to, to, you know, have your own, control your own destiny. That was the point of this business. So we start to lose that. I mean, and that's, you know, the point of capitalism. Everyone's, you know, uh, we have to make, we have to figure out a way to bring people along. And I think we, you know, the government, we got to work in connection with the government too, because it's in their interest to have people. Statistics still show that during a time like we're in right now, clients do better with an advisor than they do on their own. That right. Even if somebody's just saying, don't sell it, you know, uh, for whatever reason. And, and I think the government has a place in there somewhere to make it easier for folks to prospect if they want to have, you know, some of these larger goals, like get more young people in, get a more diverse group. Let's do this stuff. We got to support it somehow. Yeah. And 80% no. failure rates and 80% failure rate. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. And you're, you're, you're really uh, hitting some good points and, and making me think about it. We really have, if you think about it, lost that entrepreneurial capitalism, right. Perspective for young people or, you know, uh, career changers even uh, to come into the business and have something to ultimately strive for. So is that what we're doing, do you think, Tony? Or are we building an industry today where advisors are, it's more like, you know, joining as an associate of an accounting firm or a law firm where you're kind of, you know, relegated to a role and here's the clientele that you're going to work with and, and try to make the best of it and do a little rainmaking. Is that what you think is going on out there, what you're seeing? Uh, I think so. And I think, you know, again, I'm the convert, I don't have a, enough conversations with people just starting, although, look, people, my phone number is on the website. So you can imagine every day I get, I get calls, right, from all different kinds. But I do spend a lot of time with, you know, the the, the $6 billion advisor and all. And they're, you know, they want advice too. And it's always, you know, be, they need to be more CEO-like, right? They have more of a business. So they're, they're even that, they, and they're entrepreneurial in their way. Um, and it trickles down, I guess. But the new, the new folks, I'm not, I'm not seeing that as much. And when you got into this business, my, my assumption is you weren't rich, right? And, um, you know, when I got into this business, I went, look, my, my dad I wasn't rich. My dad was a dentist, which was, you know, great. And all of my clients were Italian dentists. All because that's what I had, I swear to God. You look at my mirror, have such nice every single teeth, one. Right? What a right. smile. That's why you have that smile. I see that that's little, right. that little that's uh, right. glimmer. Yes. Right. So, I mean, that, that, I mean, okay, well, once you're done with that, now where do you go? You had to, you had to move on. So I'm concerned about where we go and I'm, you know, everyone's, you know, got their eye on themselves. And I think, I, I, look, I, I used to, the other thing I used to say all the time was the best job you can have right now is to, is to fail out of the Merrill Lynch training program. Cause when you fail out, 
you're licensed, you've been trained in sales, you have maybe a few clients that want to stick with you, and you can go see a guy like John Cutman and say, hey, I can help. <laughs> you know? yep. And you'd be like, shit, I'll, I'll take you. Great. You're you know? right. You're right, though, though, that's exactly what what we're uh, what we're looking for. And um, when we find those that it is like a like a unicorn uh, as yeah. well. So so let me ask you this, Tony. So um, completely agree in alignment with with what you're sharing. So where's the puck going? Then I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Yeah. Right. So who's going to win? Is it the large aggregators? Let's you know, there's there's some really big, large firms out there as you think about the future. Um, who's going to be the winner in, in your opinion, over the next 10 years? So it's, a, I think it's a big mistake to start thinking like that because advisors, when you manage advisors, it's a baseball team. It's not a football team. These are independent guys who can tell you to go screw yourself if they don't like the equity of the, this, the, that, and if they sign something that locks them in and they're idiots and they deserve, you know, to be there, you have your own thing. You, you've got to inspire in a certain way. And you've got to, you, you've got to make your firm so good that people don't want to leave aggregators, venture capitalists. They are simply the guys who run the wirehouses in another disguise and they do not care about culture and stuff like that. They want to return and they've kind of locked these guys that are running, you know, as CEOs. I don't think they know what they're getting into. I think you have a whole bunch of guys who for maybe with good intentions are getting involved in, in these firms, taking private equity money and screwing it up. You know, you don't see a lot of that going well. It always goes sideways at one time and you have to be a very agile manager of which none of these guys really are because that's not what they did. They, they, they're great at talking to advisors. They're not great at, look, I started two multi-billion dollar firms. I started Washington Wealth Management, which ultimately became Kestra. And then I started Stewart Partners, right? As a founding partner, they're all friends, they're all still clients of mine and all, all that. So I know what it's like out there. You know, every time you take money, you compromise. There is no other way around it. There is literally no way around it. When you take money, you compromise. You can't build a business without money. So you bring people on. It is like the uh, the cobbler's children have no shoes. Advisors don't ask the right questions. They don't talk about um, equity, right? You know, they they shake hands. They like the CEO, but they not they're not recognizing that they're the third tranche in this thing. So when you talk about aggregators, it starts to make my skin crawl. I mean, I think they think it's a good idea, but again, these are baseball players. You know, it's, it's pool halls. He's going to go where he wants to go. The guy who's going to pay him the most the next time. You build a bunch of mercenaries when you do it that way. And it's, you're not building a firm. I think, I think the question is going to be who can build a firm where there's a little bit of love, you know, and there's a little bit of, you know, people are in it for something other than money, then you've got something. And the three things advisors want are equity, multi-platform, multi-custodial. You can have a lot of, you need one of those things. You could have two. If you have three, you got the home run, right? But if you, and you can, equity can come in a lot of ways. You can be at a regional firm and the equity is you own your own book and we'll buy it from you when you retire. We'll help you succeed. We'll do all these different things. That's still equity. That's still ownership in something. And you can relax because you know, you know, when you retire, your firm's going to buy your book. That's not, that's not a bad thing. They're not going to chase you if you leave. They're, you know, hey, we're trying to build something great here. So I think when I look, what worries me about the MA world is that. That I see these guys putting together and they don't know. Can we curse on your show? You you can. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> how, about what, what, how about what? I'm not sure. Yeah. No one's yeah. ever done it before. You can give it a there try. Let's let's not. <laughs> oh, I just I just did. So we but they they don't know. They don't understand. Right. Got it. Um, 
So you mentioned equity being super important, multi-custodial, you know, if you have them all, fantastic. Um, but what I'm really hearing you say, it's about, and, and maybe I'm misinterpreting some of what you're saying, it's about those things, but it's also about the culture and the vision and having a place uh, that is actually a place to spend your career and have some people who care about you from a leadership perspective. Is that, is that what I'm hearing you say as well? I, I think that's the only way to win. And I think when you talk about aggregators and M&A and all that, that's a deal. That's not a business. They're, they're, you know, you ever talk to a, a guy who works in M&A? They're deal guys, smart guys, but they're deal guys. I wouldn't want them running my business. They're not business people. So if you run a business, you got to love everybody that works for you. You got to take care of them. You got to have a vision. You got to have goals. That's the guy you want to deal with. That, that's the guy, if you're an advisor, you should associate with man or woman, whoever you should associate with. But a, a, an M&A you know, an M&A person's a deal person. They they are just into the deal. What is this going to be? And they're looking to trade out. And again, advisors being baseball players, not football players, they're going to do what they want. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that math. I don't know that that math is as solid as they think it is. Yeah, makes sense. And I, I think you're spot on. You know, a lot of advisors get caught up in the deal size, right? Right. And what the equity valuation is going to be and multiples and all that is important and you need to understand it. Um, but it really also comes down to, well, you know, am I going to be happy? Am I going to grow as an advisor, as a person or the people around me? Do they care about me? And will my business grow quicker? Because I, I'd much rather go right, have a 15 or 20 percent growth rate because I've got the right systems and development and processes in place. Uh, and sell my business at a, you know, 6x multiple, right, of EBITDA versus yeah. 8x and stand still with a 3% growth rate over the next 15 or 20 years. Well, I mean, right, because why you're thinking like a businessman, right? I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm building this thing for the long term. That's exactly right. Every time you move, it's jarring to your book. It takes a while to get back, you know, to where you were before. And, you know, unless this is this is your forever home, yeah, it's, it's hard to argue that it's worth it. You know what I mean? So these are short-term gains you're making versus if you built it, built it, built it, and you were at a place that was going to help you monetize it at the end of it, you know, uh, why wouldn't, why would you, why would you leave as long as they're not you know, making you unhappy? Yep. Totally right? agree. I got one or two more questions for you, Tony, and we'll wrap here. Um, you know, my, my other question for you, uh, the trend seems to be right. You know, a, a few or many getting bigger and, you know, you've heard the kind of day of the kind of individual solo practitioner lifestyle practice, while I think they'll always be there, uh, is starting to be less common and bigger ensemble practices or teams seems to be again where the puck is going. Is that what you're seeing? It's what I read. I'm not sure if that's reality or what you see. Well, I think the reality, the reality is that um, that's, I, I would say that's where the puck is growing. I, I think those, those individual RIAs are still there. They're being bought up, you know, and, and scaled up, uh, you know, to some degree. Um, and a lot of them are smaller practices that I'm not sure, you know, are, are, are worth putting a lot of effort into and time into, you know, um, and I don't know that people do when they buy them, but I, I, I do think that there are issues, issues around scale. You know, there, there's, you know, more regulation than there was. So if you're not in a, in a position or, or with a place, whether it's a, you know, a, 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 you know, a custodian or a firm that can help you with that stuff, then, then, then you're in trouble. And, 
as COVID showed us, the world moves pretty fast. If you feel like you, you, not, you didn't catch up, then you need to be with other people. The other thing I believe, and this goes back to what we talked about before, is that our, our business is uh, at, at the end of the day, you know, a, um, um, a business of, of you're always a student. You know what I mean? You're an apprentice. Always growing. Yeah, it's an apprentice business, and if you can't mount stuff off of people, you know, on a regular basis, you know, it's another reason to maybe think of scale. So I think people do see things moving and are, you know, would like to be associated. And again, if you look at that middle thing and all the different slices and flavors of ice cream in there, there's a lot of ways to affiliate without having to lose necessarily the things you like about being independent. So I think that's that's something that could happen. But again, advisors will vote will vote with their feet. And these and the again, I, I worry about these aggregator ideas because they they're if you're just looking at assets, what are they putting together? You know, just mismatched people, not the right people, you know, not the right cultural fits and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep. What's the right is there a real value prop and and you know, is there a consistency, I think, in delivery? Uh right. as, is how I look at it. Um, last question I had for you, and then I'll see what I should have asked you if I missed anything is, um, so we saw this huge uptick, right? We talked before about the struggle for marketing, right? And cold calling being dead and, uh, all that kind of thing. The world's opened back up today. Thankfully, we're all back out and about, um, digital marketing. Is that, is that going to be the wave of the future? Is someone going to figure that out? And is that where we're going to acquire clients or, uh, do you think it's uh, it's still going to be difficult to acquire clients uh, the way it has been historically? I think digital marketing really enhances your efforts. And people people ask me this all the time because I have the number one news site for financial advisor where we make you know, millions of dollars in advertising revenue. And I always tell them, and I'm like Forrest Gump, I'm a self-taught advertising guy, right? Started this thing to know anything about it. Um, I, I think it works okay advertising, you know, I don't want to beat up our, our thing, it, but it really works if you do something along with it, right? I mean, for, I think for big brands in our industry, the, you know, the banners and stuff that, you know, you, you know who PIMCO is or BlackRock, that, that reminds you there, there's a benefit there. But if you're a firm or an advisor trying to advertise and no one really knows who you are, it, I don't know how great that that works. You know, my, my advisors who I've known, and you may know this from examples that have been on TV or radio shows, you get a bunch of maniacs who call you. You got to be a client you don't want. You get a bunch of $2,000 RIAs. Rich people aren't listening to a guy on the radio and saying, oh yeah, that's where I want to work with this guy. He's smart. I mean, you know, however, if you use the radio show to talk to your clients and your specific prospects, then it's a positive. Then your clients say, hey, I saw you, I heard you on the radio. That's positive. You know, the, 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 they're listening to you on the drive. Then you get something out of it. And the same thing is with advertising. Digital stuff levels the playing field for sure. You got to be in it. I do think that's where we're going to be able to get clients in the future, where we're going to be able to prospect. Ultimately, uh, people are going to want to meet. I think the, uh, the good, the good, bad about the pandemic is people have accepted this form of communication as being personal. You know, I see you in your house, you see me in my house, you know, you know, it's, it's, there's a, you, you can connect. I'm not feeling that somebody's going to give you a $5 million account without meeting you in person or you flying out there to, to make that happen. But the zoom stuff, the good guys like you are expanding their reach. They're going to a lot more, you know, it's not just Long Island now. I'm in New York and I'm in New Jersey and I'm in Ohio and I'm in California because I have this 
wonderful ability to communicate. So I think it's that combination. You have to, if you're going to advertise yourself, you got to do the hard work along with it. If you do the hard work and you have the advertising, the digital stuff, you've, you, 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 you write thoughtful, engaging articles about, um, show some thought leadership about, you know, an estate planning topic or something like that, that'll help you because then you're using it to prospect. You see what I'm saying? Versus yeah. just having a banner. That, that's where the digital stuff can help. Super well said. Completely agree. It's um, surround sound, right? Surround sound, yeah. cre credibility building, and ultimately, you know, in today's world, when a prospect finds you, however they find you, the first thing they do is they check you out. And and if right. you've got a lot of good things and things they could find that are, uh, you know, credibility builders, it probably doesn't hurt the odds of them actually coming to meet you and say yes. It I don't want to prolong prolong the pain of this conversation for you, but there is one thing that we didn't talk about. You know that uh, these um, restraining orders, these TROs that yep. that, that firms do, I, I think that that is a, a crazy, crazy idea that makes no sense. What they usually do in a TRO, and they usually do it the same day that they can be in court arguing against a TRO for somebody that they took. So right, it's that they had right, hypocritical the, the side of it. But they try to claim that, oh, the client information, the name and phone number is, is, is private information. The world we live in today with all the social media, and I know that Finner is chasing down cell phones and this and that. It's more complicated than that. You know, your, your clients are your friends. You talk to them. on so you leave a firm, you're, you're going to tell everybody where you went. Why wouldn't you? I mean, and clients have a right to go where they want to go. They, they absolutely do. So I, I got to believe that the government's got to eventually side on the, uh, you know, come on down on the side of, of uh uh, client choice, which is what I would call it. Yeah, yep, completely agree. And um, yeah, when when you think it, when you think about the world we live in, um, it's not that hard to find people, right? Like you, it's not that no. difficult to find out where no. someone went. Uh, years ago, it was, but you know, today, just a quick Google search and and you know pretty right. much everything. So, Tony, super impactful. Um, I really appreciate the time. Anything else that I should have asked you, or anything uh, oh. that you wanted to share with the audience at all? I'm good, brother. We'll do this again, or you can come on my show. I'd love to. Anytime. Be, uh, we have literally uh, dozens of viewers. So, Yep. <laughs> dozens? Wow. I am uh, I haven't broke single digits yet, but once I do, that will be uh, absolutely amazing. That's been sincerely, Tony. Great catching up with you. Uh, uh, truly, thanks for what you do for the industry. Oh, uh, sure. It's great. Uh, everything that you do, uh, the information uh, that you put out there really helps us all be more informed uh, about everything that's going on out there. So we appreciate it. Uh, and I hope you'll be a guest again uh, as well. So with that, to our listeners, uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. If you yourself or anyone you know could be a good, interesting guest, shoot us a note and we'd love to have you on. Make it a great day. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.